This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the structured settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Now, join Ringler Radio host, Larry Cohen. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, the head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations, and welcome to the show again today. As you know, every Ringler Radio show can be downloaded from our website, ringlerassociates.com, or the legaltalknetwork.com. Well, today we're coming to you from the Ringler Associates annual meeting in lovely, warm, beautiful Newport Beach, California. And uh, coming from the East Coast in the, in the snow and the ice, this feels awful good to me. Well, I want to kick off the show today by asking the leaders and managers out there in our listening audience an important question. Do you want to get control of the timing and content of your job? Well, today we're going to try and get you all the help you need because we'll be speaking with two individuals who have been spreading what they call the Ankin philosophy worldwide through their various seminars on how to effectively create workplace environments that really work. And what is the Ankin philosophy? Well, we're going to hear a lot about it today, but it's based on William Ankin Jr.'s Managing Management Time Seminar, which was first conducted uh, actually way back in 1961. Uh, William Onkin Jr., who created this unique philosophy with a twist of humor and down-to-earth imagery, he believed that efficiency and the daily diary approach to time management is useful only after you are in control of your time in the first place. An excerpt from Onkin's seminar led to a very popular piece in the Harvard Business Review entitled, Management Time, Who's Got the Monkey? And this, uh, this imagery of the monkey is going to play out today, as you'll hear later. So while we'll take an in-depth look at this philosophy... Uh, about discretionary time, controlling your events, this so-called monkey management, uh, the Onkin professional, the professional versus the amateur, and how all of these ideas are essential to solving problems that we face in today's workplace, uh, we'll have to do that with some help from our guests. And our first guest today is William Onkin III. I guess that's the son of the famous William Onkin Jr. Uh, Bill Onkin succeeded his father, uh, the late William Onkin Jr., uh, in February 1988 as the CEO of the Onkin Corporation. And he's really uh, now the facilitator of the Onkin seminars and workshops and is the author of many articles. Uh, and he's really continuing with this whole management. Uh, it's all in the family, isn't it, Bill? That's well, correct. Welcome to the show. And uh, our other speaker and our other guest today is Alan Bowl. Alan is a professional speaker, author, and facilitator and the CEO of Idea Transfer Incorporated, a knowledge management firm that offers objective advice, custom solutions, as he says, peerless service, I like that, and innovative ideas to entrepreneurs and professionals. And he also has a strong link to both Bill Onkin and uh, Bill's father. And he's had the honor of working with both of the Onkins since 1980. Well, welcome to the program, Alan. It's nice to be here, Larry. Boy, it's uh, the Onkin family sounds like a a tremendous... uh, group. I mean, you, you, your dad, and that now you, uh, any other siblings in the family? Well, no, none of the other siblings, but we have um, uh, some other professional speakers that have been with us. A couple are retired. One is Donald Wass, who uh, co-authored the Harvard article with my father, wow. and uh, Hal Burroughs, who lives in, uh, in uh, oh, what's it, uh, Durham, North Carolina. 
who is retired, and uh, Dick Hagner up in Seattle, who's retired. That's terrific. I'm I'm, I'm also tempted to uh, find out if we have any monkeys in the group here because this is going to be this is fascinating to me. This whole idea of the monkey, uh, Bill. Let's start off by talking about your dad and how he came up with his management leadership philosophy. How did that How did that happen? Well, it happened because uh, after he graduated from Princeton in 1934, as a physicist, uh, he was invited back to Princeton to work under Dr. H.D. Smythe on what was going to be on the Manhattan Project. Mm-hmm. And uh, after that, uh, after the war, he was uh, kept on by the government as a physicist and as a uh, manager of physicists. And uh, you could say that then he was what today we call a techie. And so he created a philosophy in the trenches that helped him survive in a bureaucratic organization where he was not the ultimate leader, where there's a chronic shortage of resources, conflicting priorities. And when he retired in 1960, he wanted to see whether this survival mechanism was teachable. And that's how the seminar evolved. Well, he, uh, he obviously did a, a heck of a job in teaching it because it's, it's strong again as we speak today. Uh, Alan, why don't you tell us how you got involved with these seminars? Well, fortunately, uh, in 1961, when uh, William Monken was building the seminar out, in 1968, Fred Cheney and Bill Hall had started Tech, which is now Vistage here in Southern California, and their primary job was to improve the effectiveness of CEOs and their top management teams. And I was fortunate to come out in 1980, go to work for Tech, and my job was to help Bill Onken and the seminars and the speakers that you've heard about basically fit the Onken philosophy into a new generation of technical uh, organizations like Intel and some of the things that were going up in, at that time, Silicon Valley. So I had the privilege of working with Bill's father, working with Bill now, and over the course of the years, what we realized is that these truths are timeless. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to be about effectiveness rather than efficiency, it starts with understanding that you do have control of your time, which every CEO wants more of, more control and more of the time. Well, you know, this issue of control brings us to the first element, I think, of what you folks talk about. And and it's kind of an old adage that if we are not controlling events, events will be controlling us. That's kind of one of the watchwords of your uh, of your seminar. That's correct. Tell us about tell us what you mean by uh, the issue of controlling events. Well, if you're not controlling events, events will be controlling you. Of course, people will come back and say to me, well, how do you control Katrina? Yeah. Well, you can't control Mother Nature, but that which you cannot directly control, you are paid to favorably influence. And if you're going to control or influence events, you must be able to do three things simultaneously on the job. The first is to anticipate future events and their impact on the organization. Now, to do that... You've got to understand what the future involves. Future has three characteristics. First, it's going to get here on time, whether you're ready for it or not. Second, it's going to get here sooner than you think. And third, it's not going to be like you think it's going to be. Now, even if you have a great crystal ball, if you're trying to anticipate something like that, uh, you're going to have a low batting average. So the second thing you have to be able to pull off is you've got to be able to adapt to changing circumstances in the present, both mentally and organizationally. And because people strike out at that, you must be able to learn from your own experiences and the experiences of others. Now, all of that requires discretionary time. 
Well, that discretionary time fits right into the uh, the next area here. In, in other words, in order to be effective, I know you say that the uh, the manager needs discretionary time. How essential is that discretionary time to a manager, Alan? I think it's a critical job of management because you can't do one of the jobs of traditional management planning if you don't have time to plan. And a lot of us get involved in in doing easy things that are activities. But to a great extent, if you're going to anticipate major events like you're taking the company public or you're working on a major presentation or you're going to a major trial, you need time to manage the entire process. And if you're bogged down in details and those are details that other people should be doing, you're now caught in abdicating your responsibility rather than really delegating that responsibility. Well, you know, Bill Onkin, your dad, uh, he wrote the article, Managing Management Time. That's a seminar. He went with the article, Management Time. Oh, Management Time. Well, Managing Management Time, uh, I think we have a lot of uh, alliter- you know, alliterative managing issues here, but Managing Management Time and then his Conventional Time Management. What's the difference between those two? Well, the Conventional Time Management is, um, well, for instance, the daily diary approach, the personal organization. And uh, the problem with that is it presupposes that you already have the control of the relationships that can impact on that time. For instance, I'm sure you've come to work from time to time. You've had a plan for the day completely laid out. And within 10 minutes of having gotten to the office, you got an email, say from a boss or a colleague, or a telephone call, which just pretty much threw your plan into the shredder. Right. And uh, the managing of management time really is the managing of the relationships on the job. There are outfits that will tell you, say, that they're going to get rid of interruptions, for instance. I think that they are the charlatans or self-deluders because mm-hmm. you're going to get interrupted anyway. As an example of, uh, of, of what uh, the impact on the relationship can be or the, the favorability of the relationship, if my boss were to call me in, and complain about my performance, I would consider that an interruption. If my boss were to call me in to talk to me about my raise, I would not consider that an interruption. (laughs) Now, in both cases, my boss's reaction was to something I did or failed to do. And so basically, I can control the content of the interruptions by how I conduct myself on the job. And let me give an example of this whole process and how it uh, really helps you to develop discretionary time. You come into an organization, you're new, and your boss says, we want a 150-page report on this particular topic that you're an expert in. However, you probably haven't asked an Ankhan philosophy question. How do you like your data presented? Would Mm -hmm. you like an executive summary plus the 150-page report, and all of a sudden you realize that all you really needed to do was write the executive summary, give it to the boss orally, and because you're already an expert, you don't have to write the 150-page report. That's discretionary time by managing your boss's anxiety. And most of us don't ask those critical questions. Well, that's really knowing who you're working for, too. You know, as you go through time, you get to know an individual's uh, you know, predilections and what they like. And, and I think all the successful people in business get to, get to serve their master in that way. What, how important in the, the process of, of managing and, and being successful in an organization are the issue of organizational politics and the old concept of who you know more than what you know. How, how much how much does that uh, play, play a role? 
Well, Unkin's first law states that what you know will not get off the ground without the active support of who you know. And, of course, in this seminar, we uh, use a lot of uh, humor to bring this point across. And uh, one of the let's suppose St. Peter came down and su suggested that you had to be one of two personality types. You don't get a third choice, must be one of these two. Mm -hmm. Type number one, you have a Ph.D. after your name. You're a recognized genius, but everybody at Ringler hates your guts. Second type, you are not as an individual, but as a... Not as a person, but as a, te technically speaking, you are an idiot. But you can surround yourself with outstanding personnel. If you have to be one of those two, which of those two must you be if you're going to be in a leadership or a management position? Well, I, I, I tell you, I would, I would say this, that uh, since most of the people in management have been somewhat idiots, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> and, and sometimes I've worked for them and I've made them look good, I'd say that's, that's the one to pick. I don't want to give the impression that what you know is not important, mm -hmm. but once you get into a leadership position, then who you know takes precedence over what you know. And who you know means it's political activity, mm -hmm. which means it's influence, which is another word for politics. Mm -hmm. And that's what we emphasize in our program, how to get that backing. So cultivating relationships is critical, obviously, to, uh, to being successful in any business. And uh, I think the most successful people are the ones that uh, they tend to network properly through their organization. And they, they also do one other thing, Larry, is that let's assume you're coming into an organization and you know that your project's going to require talking to the purchasing department because you know you're going to have to bill supplies. It's really helpful to go down and talk to the purchasing department two months before you actually need the chairs to be in the project because you want to find out how purchasing purchases their chairs. So if they need six weeks of lead time, you can get that lead time started so the chairs arrive when the project's required. It's a very simple idea. And not just that, but when you get to know the purchasing folks and maybe you have a cup of coffee, you get to know them, you get to know them more as friends, when it comes time for you to order, they'll treat you a little bit differently than they will the guy that hasn't done it. So I think those, those are important issues. Well, let's address something that's been intriguing me since we started this program, and that's the issue of monkey management. Now, you use a monkey as a metaphor when it comes to time management and business. And so here's the question. What does the monkey represent? Tell us about monkeys. A monkey represents a next move or an action step that's to be taken in the resolution of a problem, a, uh, an opportunity, or a project. The project, opportunity, or problem themselves we call gorillas. But a monkey is simply the next move in the resolution. Now, once uh, a monkey could be uh, write a report, it could be make a phone call, it could be make a trip. And once the monkey is identified, then only one issue remains, who's going to work it and who's going to supervise it. And if the monkey winds up on the wrong back, then you have a misallocation of resources, destruction of discretionary time, and um, I just say wish that catastrophe on your competitors. Hmm. So that means putting, trying to put the monkey, the so-called task, on the back of the person that's maybe most efficiently going to do the job and, and free up the individual that maybe be more productive without the monkey. It could be that, but it could also be putting it on the right back. It could mean that that person is going to learn from it. For instance, if I work for you, Larry, and uh, it is part of your job to train your replacement, which means train me, you're not training me if I'm just doing my job. Mm -hmm. You're training me to be a replacement if I'm doing parts of your job. Well, that's true. Now, one of the common scenarios that we find today, I think, is that managers are working harder than ever 
they're overloaded, and the average uh, employee seems to be running out of work. Why is that, Alan? Well, I think there's a couple things going on. A lot of times now with the Internet, a lot of the young people coming on feel kind of entitled that they just have to look at the next thing coming over the web and just process the next email. What I also think it is is that what we've learned from the tech and Vistas experience is that managers often are compulsive monkey picker-uppers because they think they can show genius at work by taking all these tasks and getting it done. And then all of a sudden, they realize they're bogged down. And one of the things about the Ankin philosophy, it's it's harder to take the monkey off of your back, especially if you're the boss. And if you're carrying it around and you're starting to hide from your employees and the people around you, what it means is that you want to be in control, but you're bogged down. So at some point, if you really want to become a better leader and manager, the, the issue of proper backfinding, if you would, is to really say it's time for you to learn my job. <laughs> you have to let go. One of the reasons why managers do this is they tend to retreat to the familiar. And that sure. is they were promoted from their subordinate's job. That job is more familiar to them than the new one. And when people are under stress, they retreat to their familiar. And uh, when a boss does this, he'll call it training or coaching. You ask the staff, they'll call it micromanagement. Right, exactly. Exactly. It's all what the label is. You also stress, I know, quality of life issues when it comes to the workplace. Uh, How can one achieve a better quality of life in the workplace with uh, all the issues that you're raising? Well, if the the monkeys are properly apportioned, number one, and if number two, there is a a safety valve, that is when people are being overworked, overcommitted, and that, that can happen, there has to be a method where the staff can, say, recommend a reprioritization of what it is they're doing so that they can take some of the load off. Well, there's, there's also another thing about taking the load off. It, almost everybody who's listening to this show probably has a credenza full of monkeys. <laughs> They're in files, and those files and those files have now become piles. And what happens is we play a very dangerous game in organizations, either called benign neglect or calculated neglect. Now, if you have a boss or a manager who's very creative and keeps coming up with more and more monkeys and more and more gorillas to do, the staff over time simply says, you know what, if, I, if I'm very good with Larry, what I will do is I'll listen to the idea, I'll write it down, I'll look very, very compliant, and then I'm hoping that in six months he will forget this idea. Now, <laughs> if you forget the idea, I don't have to do it which is an overload, and if you do remember it, you'll hear this statement. Larry, I was thinking about that this morning on the drive down the pike, and now I'm ready to deal with it. There you you go. About 30% of the piles in your office don't really need to be done, but nobody has the courage to deal with that monkeys and basically say it's time to let that monkey die. Well, uh, you know, I I think most people tend to solve their problems today in the offices. Uh, They try to get together and do those problem solving, uh, you know, around the water cooler or wherever they are in those social settings uh, because I think they're all trying to figure out how to deal with the monkeys and gorillas in their office. Most people perceive the monkeys and gorillas as sometimes overwhelming. And because they're overwhelming, it almost paralyzes them to act on that. Don't you find that to be true? Piles pile up and, and things get lost and things get buried, especially the tough problems sometimes go to the bottom. Well, sometimes what they'll do is take a course on advanced prioritizing, which will make uh, even bigger piles. And uh, they get further and further away from work and more and more involved in the academic abstractions of prioritizing. Well, I'll tell you, before we go on, I think we need to take a break here We to hear from uh, the people that make Ringler Radio possible. Uh, let's do that. And then we come back, we'll hear more about monkeys, gorillas, and why they call most employment places zoos. This is Ringler Radio, Internet radio from Ringler Associates. 
Quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Experience counts. Over 130,000 cases structured. Did you know you can download Ringler Radio to your iPod? Just go to iTunes and subscribe to the Legal Talk Network. It's free. Ringler Associates, the only broker you need. Listen to all the Ringler Radio shows. Just go to ringlerassociates.com and click on Ringler Radio and choose a topic. We invite you to listen to our other shows on the Legal Talk Network and become a member. It's free at www.legaltalknetwork.com. Did you know that Legal Talk Network shows are also available as CLE? Including Ringler Radio. Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's clecenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, and I'd certainly like to welcome back my guests, Bill Onkin III and Alan Bowl. And we've been talking about monkeys, and we've been talking about how to handle uh, the work, the workload in an office and how the various relationships between uh, subordinates and superiors uh, can be improved. Well, what's your advice to the listeners out there? Uh, do, they, do you feed the monkeys face-to-face to avoid having the next move? How do you deal with this issue of getting the monkeys off someone's back and onto someone else's back? Is that is that I, I'm sure most people try to do that. They try to avoid their own issues by trying to push them off on other people. How do you how do you deal with that? Well, the the primary monkey problem is between superior and subordinate or vertical, and uh, we have a, uh, a a test and that is on whose back, who's the proper owner of a given monkey. Well, the question we ask is if both a boss and a staffer can work on the same next move, uh, the boss might be able a little better, the boss might be able a little faster. But if both of them would meet organizational objectives, regardless of whose job that monkey might be in, this, the, the bias has to be that the staffer does it. And, of course, if it's in the boss's job anyway, well, it's the boss's job to train their replacement. And so the subordinate is getting his some experience at the boss's level so that if the boss were to move on, drop dead, retire, what have you, the U.S. succession planning at that level between that subordinate and that boss. You know, one of the things you talk about in your seminars, and I was fascinated by this, the difference between professionals and amateurs, and you stress that. The, the, the professional situation, an amateur situation, some people see different things in the workplace. Tell me about what you mean when you say the professional versus the amateur. Alan, why don't you talk about that? Well, I think what a professional does is uh, the same thing they do in medical or in the legal profession. What you really are doing is setting aside your anxiety. That's the first thing, because managing your anxiety is what usually happens on a Monday morning. Have you ever had a, an opportunity when you came in and had what is affectionately called an emotionally unsanitary response to an email? And now what happens is a one, one phone call can now disrupt an entire firm because you're not managing your anxiety. So the first thing is you have to be able to lead yourself, recognize the situation not as a problem but as an opportunity. And what pros do is they set aside their feelings and they look at what it means to the organization. That's the first part. Amateurs basically overreact, and then they start sending out the flame emails, and then it just cascades down. 
So the pro understands how to manage their anxiety. The amateur takes their anxiety and turns it into an, another domino uh, effect. Yeah, you know, one of the ways that you can manifest that, and I've seen it many times, and maybe you don't have the luxury of, of that many times, but when you write the, the response email, I find it so effective to let it sit overnight yes. before you send it. Because right. when the next morning comes and you look at it again in the light of day, it doesn't quite have, you, you've toned it down, you, you, you've, you've dealt with it, and all of a sudden the words that you put on, the tones that you've used, don't really work anymore. And you, you tend to change it and, and you solve problems that way. But if you, if you had reacted uh, right away, it would, it, would, it would have caused chaos. Well, how, how many people regret that they hit that send button? Oh, my goodness, yeah. You know, I know I myself find that oftentimes just before I do send, I hit draft, and it goes into the drafts because <laughs> I right. want one more shot to, to review it before I send it out. Well, what about this concept of uh, trusted advisors in comparison to what they call, you call disciplined advisors? What's the difference in those two well, you know, uh, people in the legal profession and financial services in general see themselves of, as a trusted advisor because they are client-centered and they want to be doing things that are to the advantage of the client. And we've developed a lot of people who are very good as trusted advisors. But I think the next evolution is now a disciplined advisor, meaning that you have the trust, you have the competency, but you now develop a sense of being systematic. And what a disciplined advisor really does is acts like a pro in more and more situations and less like an amateur. So documenting the file for a compliance situation or following up back to a client or doing as Bill suggested, making sure that the monkeys in your office are being well managed because you can make a commitment to a client, you can make a commitment to a judge, and then what happens is you don't have the active support of the people back at the firm and now you can't get that project done. So your credibility is at stake. So we're looking at the evolution now that the disciplined advisor does get the active support of the people around them, does anticipate what's going to go on, and gets the organization's resources ready, willing, and able to deliver on what's promised. Considering we're talking about monkeys, I'm glad you used the word evolution. That was, that was pretty good. <laughs> but... Uh, Tomorrow, I understand you're going to be speaking to the Ringler Group, and you're going to be explaining a lot of this to, to the troops, which I think uh, will be very helpful to them in uh, controlling all the monkeys that I know a lot of us have. Well, if our audience wants more information from you or to talk to learn more about what you guys do, what uh, how do they reach you, uh, Bill? Well, they can reach us through uh, email, which is unken, O-N-C-K-E-N, corp, at AOL.com, or our website, which is unkencorp.com. And, Alan, how about yourself? A uh, simple email, uh, Alan Bowl, uh, A-L-A-N-B-O-A-L, at earthling.net and, uh, and or through Ringler. Well, if you want to reach all the Ringler Associates, as you know, ringlerassociates.com. You'll see all the uh, information about all the issues, monkeys, there's all kinds of monkeys <laughs> on the Ringler website. You'll be, uh, you'll be glad you did that. So I want to thank you all for listening. Go out now and have a great day. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. Ringler Associates experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. 
Ringler Radio is produced by broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network.